Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing the music you just heard. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we introduce tonight's guest, I'm going to turn it over to Tamara, who's going to tell you very briefly about what we're working on now. And it's very exciting. We both have solo novels coming out in the next few weeks, um, which is unusual. We're usually collaborating. Anyway, um, my novel is coming out June 15th. Um, It's called Brimstone. It's a coming-of-age story that takes place in 1968, so it's got really good music, in a little town called Brimstone in Arizona. The Brimstone Grand Hotel, owned by reclusive former movie star Delilah Devine, looms high on Hospital Hill, harboring long-buried family secrets that whisper of unimaginable horrors, horrors that will echo down through generations. Within the walls of the Brimstone Grand, the past has come back to life, and Holly Tremaine and her grandmother Delilah are faced with an ancient familial evil that rages just below the old hotel's serene facade, an evil that won't rest until it possesses Holly, body, mind, and soul. Now, if you're familiar with the town of Jerome, Arizona, you might recognize the setting quite a bit. Anyway, Alistair's new release is The Silver Dagger. It's coming in July. It's book two of the Vampires of Crimson Cove series and picks up where the first book, The Crimson Corset, leaves off. Life in Crimson Cove has been good to the Coulter brothers since Gretchen Van Treese was staked and her horde of vampires scattered. But when she rises from the grave, the brothers are torn apart, their lives and the peace between them shattered. Meanwhile, a serial killer is stalking the little mountain town, leaving a trail of blood that leads to a truth Sheriff Ethan Hunter doesn't want to believe. The streets are no longer safe, nor are the forested paths, for a new and unknowable evil has come to Crimson Cove, and everyone, vampire and human alike, must come together in order to survive. Alistair. All right, and uh, the first book in that series is The Crimson Corset. That's available at Amazon.com, and if you're a fan or you're into vampires, uh, be sure and check out the companion novel Darling Girls, which is a Thorn and Cross collaboration. Uh, Again, very quickly, uh, this is Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarthorn.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thorningcross.wordpress.com or if you tweet, our handles are at CrossAllister and at TamraThorn. Uh, you can also visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, on to more, much more fun stuff. Uh, tonight, we are thrilled uh, for the return of Douglas Preston, uh, great, great writer. Um, Douglas Preston is the author of 35 books, both fiction and nonfiction, 22 of which have been New York Times bestsellers, with several reaching the number one position. He has worked as an editor at the American Museum of Natural History in New York and taught nonfiction writing at Princeton University. His first novel, Relic, co-authored with Lincoln Child, was made into a movie by Paramount Pictures, which launched the famed Pendergast series of novels. 
his recent nonfiction book, The Monster of Florence, is also in production as a film. Also, his book, The Lost City of the Monkey God, tells the true story of a of the discovery of a prehistoric city in an unexplored valley deep in the Honduran jungle. In addition to his books, Preston writes about archaeology and paleontology for The New Yorker, National Geographic, and Smithsonian. He is past co-president of International Thriller Writers and serves on the board of the Authors Guild. He is the recipient of numerous writing awards in the U.S. and Europe, including an honorary Doctor of Letters degree from Pomona College. Uh, tonight, we are celebrating the 25th anniversary edition of his book, Talking to the Ground, which is an adventure on the level of his acclaimed uh, The Lost City of the Monkey God. Like Lost City, it is more than an adventure. It is a story that weaves together history, archaeology, anthropology, and Navajo religious beliefs and prophecy. And uh, it's also got uh, quite a bit of terror in it, too, from what we uh, are hearing. So, <laughs> Without further ado, welcome to the show, Doug. Welcome back. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. Are well, you and, uh, congratulations. About... Well, I first want to oh. extend my congratulations to you both for your novels. They both sound fascinating. I think I'm going to have to pick up a copy of each one. Aww. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think you, you and and Link had a novel named Brimstone too, didn't you? We did, Talking yeah. Very, a, a very different, uh, very different novel. But I've been to Jerome, by the way, and that is one that will make a wonderful, or it will is a wonderful setting for a novel. It's Isn't a very it amazing, interesting town. It's very interesting, and and some of those old buildings in Jerome look haunted. I mean, they're it's great. Uh, yeah, the the hotel used to be a hospital, and and back before it got well known as a haunted hospital or a haunted hotel, it was really fun. It's probably still fun now, but I liked it better when nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> and we would stay right. there, and my husband would hear footsteps going up and down the hall while I was downstairs, and nobody else was on the floor. It was terrific. We loved every second of it. Oh, fascinating. Get that whole town the way it hangs off the side of the mountain. It's just so weird and wonderful. It, so, it really is. It's you. an amazing place. So. Yeah, I love it. So, Talking to the Ground takes place in the Southwest. And as Alice says, does. Is it, yeah, 25th anniversary. So you've you've added uh, added to it for that. Uh, the, I did. Uh, forward um, or the, uh, backward? <laughs> it, it's an afterward because... Uh, yeah. It contains massive spoilers. It, a foreword would have ruined the whole book. So it, it's an afterword. And <laughs> yeah. It re- basically it reports on some very some recent and very disturbing archaeological discoveries that have been made, which in mm. a very interesting way reflect some of the Navajo stories that I that I heard uh, while we were riding across the Navajo reservation and talking to the ground. You know, these legends mm-hmm. or myths or whatever are not legends and myths at all. The Navajos, um, a lot of what they say about what happened to the Anasazi or the, the ancient uh, Pueblo people, uh, actually uh, archaeology is now confirming that it's true. These really frightening stories that are part of the Navajo creation story that talk about the fate of Chaco Canyon, for example. Uh, it turns out that uh-huh. the Navajo... Legends are actually, they were probably eyewitnesses 
to what happened or certainly knew about it. And these aren't legends at all. These are this is a sort of a description of what actually happened. I always heard wow. drought was likely a possibility there. Tell us some of the legends, though. That sounds way more interesting. Well, we'll, we'll start with the Navajo creation story. The, 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 the book, Talking to the Ground, I had an idea for this book because I was reading the Navajo creation story, which is this massive, uh, huge piece of work of literature. It's just, you know, you know, half the size of the Bible almost. It's it's really extraordinary. Wow. <laughs> and uh, there, it tells many stories, but the main story in the creation is about how the hero twins, uh, Monster Slayer and Born of Water, um, went across the landscape and battled the monsters and demons that were making the earth uninhabitable for human beings and killed them in these terrific fights, these enormous fights, and left their carcasses strewn about on the landscape. And those carcasses of those monsters became the mountains and the canyons and the buttes and all the uh, features of the natural world that we see today in Arizona and New Mexico and also a little bit in Colorado. So in a sense, the Navajo creation story is uh, – the, the Navajo Bible is actually the landscape itself. Every butte, every feature has a story associated with it, and traditional Navajo medicine men and, and many Navajos know those stories. And so when they look out at the landscape, they see their Bible. It's not written. It's actually physical. Uh, it's geological. And so I had the idea, wouldn't it be interesting to get on horseback and retrace across the southwest the root of the of Monster Slayer in his great journey to rid the world of the monsters that were that were making it impossible for humans to uh, to to live on Earth, and so I did that, and we rode with my I took my fiance and her daughter, and we rode for hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, for a whole month, and we the Navajos we met thought what we were doing was absolutely wonderful. They said, you know, you're doing this right. You're not uh, you're not, you're not like other uh, Anglos who come out here in Jeeps, you know. We, we don't talk to them, but, but you guys are doing it right. Um, horses are sacred. And so they really opened their doors to us. They opened their hearts. They took us into their homes. It was the most remarkable thing. And it was amazingly beautiful. When, when you're on horseback, you can go places, on the most remote places on the Navajo Reservation that no one ever sees. And we saw incredible things. And we heard prophecies. So that's a roundabout way to get to the Navajo creation story where it's a very dark story that it tells about Chaco Canyon and the other ruins that are seen about on the Navajo land that there was a terrible social uh, collapse and unrest and violence, extreme violence and exploitation and a civil war in a sense developed and it wrecked the culture and the people left and leaving behind all these ruins as a testament to the terrible things that happened in this, in this, that, that caused the collapse of Chaco Canyon. Now, archaeologists for a long time thought that it was just a drought, but it turns out that recent archaeology has indicated 
that, uh, and this is pretty strong stuff, and it's controversial, but it's, it's you know, scientifically yeah. sound, very sound, that the drought caused a collapse of the social order and a revolt, perhaps, of the, of the people against their, the ruling priests, who, whose responsibility was to bring the rain. And the priests aren't bringing the rain, so there's this revolt, this tremendous social upheaval, and then a period of extreme violence and terrorism followed, in which oh. the main tool of terror was the killing and eating of your enemies, and then leaving their bones out there for all to see to show what bad guys you were. And so wow. uh, in the period after the collapse of Chaco, or towards the end and then after the collapse, there was this outbreak of cannibalism. It wasn't starvation cannibalism, according to the, archaeolo- the archaeologists and the physical anthropologists, you know, people eating other people because they were starving to death. It was cannibalism uh-huh. as a form of terrorism where, you know, they would invade a village they would kill everybody, men, women, and children, cook them, eat them, and leave their bones and all their possessions. They didn't steal anything out there as a warning. But this is who we are, uh-huh. and this is what we can do, so don't mess with us. And so this, this period of <laughs> wow. violence is when the, um, the ancient Pueblo people moved into those cliff, those really inaccessible cliff dwellings in the canyons and so forth. Uh-huh. Um, and then... You know, it died down later, and then in the 14th century, they moved back down to the flats, and that's where the Spanish found them, you know, and and, and reestablished a peaceful coexistence. So the novel creation right. story, which talks about this violence and terror uh, and uh, gambling and, uh, and uh, murder and all this other stuff, really reflects what archaeologists are now finding. And it is it is very controversial, and uh, you know, I, I, it's there. You know, Native Americans many are really upset about some of these findings, and I don't blame them. I mean, it's you know, it's but how how many hundreds of years ago were these? This did this happen? This, this well, was Anasazi area. Of, it was. It, it was the period of violence and cannibalism occurred between about. Oh, you know, 1050 or 1100 to about maybe 1250 in that in that range, maybe uh, 1100 to 1250, something like that. Um, oh, okay. With with some violence occurring later, and some earlier, but um, there are archaeologists who believe that the Chaco Canyon was established by perhaps by the, the whole system of the Chacoan system might have been established by a group of uh, warriors from Mexico who brought with them the traditions of, you know, of eating human flesh, which was part of uh, the religious yeah. traditions of the Aztec people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's not a bit of horror. So, well, they, they found these uh, charnel deposits, um, all over the Southwest from that time period uh, where, uh-huh. you know, the, it looks like food trash, you know, the bones were broken up, the skulls were roasted uh, and then uh-huh. the brains were taken out. The brain is very nourishing. Um, the skulls were put in the fire to cook the brain and then the brain is taken out. Um, the, the spongy bone is mashed up and eaten. 
the bones are then boiled in a pot to extract the grease, and the broken ends of the bone develop what's called pot polish, which is a microscopic polish on the broken tips caused by the bones turning and turning in a ceramic pot as it's boiling. Um, and they've also wow. found, and this is, the, this is the worst thing of all, you know, hold, hold on to your chairs, but they also found the human <laughs> coprolites at these cannibal oh. sites. A, a coprolite uh-huh. is a fossil, you know, like an old human uh, feces, which they've analyzed yeah. and found that there was almost entirely consisted of human protein, protein from human muscle. Oh, my. Total proof. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I. Yeah, this so is what my afterwards. Go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, well, that's what my afterward deals with. It is this latest archaeology. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. and a physical anthropologist named Christy Turner and some others who developed these theories. But, but, but that's really the end of the book. The, the story is a wonderful <laughs> story about you know, family traveling across this, you know, absolutely beautiful landscape, meeting interesting people, and it weaves in quite a bit of archaeology and history and Navajo belief and prophecy and that sort of thing. Right. Wow. So you talk about four mountains. Um, is that at Four Corners? or Tell us about the four well, mountains. Well, the four mountains are the sacred mountains that the Navajos traditionally um, believe delineate their land. Now, their land is much reduced from the area between the four mountains, but there's uh, there's uh, one in New Mexico, which is now Taylor, that they call Tzudzil. There's one in Colorado called Sierra Blanca, and then there are two in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, which, which uh, represent the four directions, the number four is very mm-hmm. sacred in Navajo belief. So the four mountains oh. represent the four directions, um, represent day, night, dawn, and sunset. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, they um, are believed to be holy beings, which, which produce rain. And, of course, when you live in the southwest, you look at the mountains, and there's always clouds on top of them, and often rain is falling. So it's, a, it's mm-hmm. not, an, not an unusual belief uh, if, you know, they observe that mountains do create rain. And uh Yeah. And so those 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 mountains delineate the boundaries of the Navajo world and then in there there are all these sacred sites that again represent the um, various um uh battles and uh you know some of the canyons were caused by these terrific fights where the you know, monster slayers sword swipes the earth and creates a canyon and so forth. So, so as we ride across the landscape, I tell some of these stories in Talking to the Ground. And mm-hmm. I also talk about Navajo history. Uh, the, the actual title comes from the Long Walk, which was when the Navajos were taken from their land and moved mm-hmm. to a horrible reservation in New Mexico where half of them died. It was terrible. And uh, oh. it was brutal, brutal conditions. And one of the rarest events in American history was the U.S. government took pity on them and saw that they were, you know, essentially dying out, and so allowed them to move back to their homelands. 
And so when the Navajos were riding back and they saw mm-hmm. Mount Taylor, the sacred mountain in the distance, they began to weep. Some of the, these you know, tough old men began to weep. And one of them said, we, we loved the, the land so we felt like talking to the ground. Ah, beautiful. Truly is. Yeah, this is fantastic because this is there's so much in you know the history of the Native Americans and you know that the people we really don't know. We're not really um, you know you know taught all this, and so I think it's great. I think it's great that you're doing this, and it and it reads by the way really well. It, it's it's like reading mm-hmm. one of your novels, and yet it's it's. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, well thank you. Well, I I like and to. The story, uh, well, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, the story of you and your family. Get, I mean, your your wife was then your fiance and her daughter. So you, that's a really compelling story too about how you're all getting together and, and learning about each other on horseback over what a thousand miles. In the wow. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> It was crazy. Uh, I, I kind of looking back, and I wonder what the what the heck was I thinking um, to bring a <laughs> nine year old girl on a trip like this? I mean, we didn't have you know wranglers to to wrangle us yeah. around. Uh, we 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 we, I had, we had five horses, uh, two three for riding and two for packing. And uh-huh. the interesting thing is that the Navajo, the big Navajo reservation, was established before the invention of barbed wire. So there are no barbed wire cross fences anywhere, except for the highways oh, wow. are new ones. But um, ah. so you can ride hundreds of miles without hitting a fence, because the Navajos do not have the same idea of land ownership that we do. You know, this is my land. I'm going to put a fence uh-huh. here. They don't like barbed wire, and they never put it right. up. They, they did rejected that. Uh-huh. So I've ridden thousands of miles across the Southwest, and of course you run into fences all the time, and have to deal with them, finding gates or laying them down. But uh-huh. on the Navajo reservation, you can just ride, and you can go. You can look oh, at a cool. mountain in the distance, a blue mountain, and you can ride to it. And it's the most amazing feeling of freedom. Wonderful. Wow. Did, did you ever yeah. get in some dangerous situations? We did. We got into some extremely dangerous situations. We um, the first part of the trip was the most dangerous. We were riding from Navajo Mountain in Utah to Monument mm-hmm. Valley, which was a three- or four-day ride, and through these incredibly rugged canyons on a trail that was called the Moonlight Water Trail, which was had washed out. It was gone. It, you know, I mean, the trail was 100 mm-hmm. years old and or hundreds of years old, and nobody had fixed it for years because there's nobody out there really anymore. Yeah. And uh, so we, you know, it was really scary. There were points where I thought our horses were going to fall off a cliff. I mean, there are areas oh. where it was so narrow that the, the, the packed horse was, would bump the rock and then it would, like one of his hooves would go off the edge of the cliff on the other side because the trail was kind of chiseled into the, these cliff faces. And and then um, mm. we, the lack of water was very scary. We, we uh, were always oh. worried about water and we had to find water for the horses every day and and uh, we, you know, sometimes couldn't do that. And it was, you know, if your horses oh. run, are 
you know, human can go without water for two or three days, but a horse mm-hmm. needs water even more frequently than a human. So and I, I remember at one point I said, look, you know, we're brushing our teeth. And I said, you know, don't, don't rinse your mouth out and, and, and don't spit out the, spit out that water just swallow it we, we don't we, we don't have enough water for you to rinse your mouth out uh, instead and Celine was so mad wow. she said that's disgusting and she spat the water out <laughs> I was like okay alright well <laughs> I tried but, you tried <laughs> and, our, and our, right. we had a dog with us our, our beautiful Indian dog Akamita who came from who had followed me on one of a previous horseback ride, a thousand mile ride I did. And she was bitten uh-huh. by a rattlesnake on, on the third day and uh, nearly died. And there was no way to get to help. I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere. We yeah. Probably 50, 50 miles from a paved road and then a hundred miles from a vet. I and mean, there was just no way to, to do anything. We had to wait for her to get better. And she did. She wow. A dog. Good, good, good. good. Now had, we've had you, had, you know of of all the people we've we've had on on the show, and uh, in fact, probably of all the people I've probably ever met, <laughs> you come to mind. And I think of someone who has had just an absolutely extraordinary life. We 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 had you on a while ago talking about your adventures in Italy with uh, your book, The Monster of Florence, which fantastic book. Um, I guess I, I'm curious. Do you look Do you look back on your life? I mean, this 25th anniversary edition, you know, must be something that you know kind of makes you kind of look back and go, "Wow." So I'm curious. Do you look back on your life and say, "This I've had a really extraordinary life," or are you just like, "Meh, I'm ready for the next adventure." I mean, <laughs> do you feel like you've had a pretty extraordinary life? Could well, you I, have? <laughs> well, well, thank you. I I do look back and wonder about some of the choices I made and think, gee, you know, that, that really is, was extremely unwise. And why did, I, why did I do that? But then everything I've done has come out all right. You know, I haven't killed myself. I mean, I have gotten into trouble in, in Italy, of course, and then going into Honduras, I got, you know, terrible tropical disease and that sort of thing. But nothing uh-huh. that was really life-changing. And, in fact, when you're a nonfiction writer and something bad happens to you, it's good because you can write about it. You know, you want that yeah. to happen because it makes for a more interesting course, just not too bad. Right. <laughs> but, but I must say, I don't like, I don't like getting old. I just turned sixty-three, and I, you know, it's 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 yeah, annoying. It's a pain. To, it is. To get Everything old. hurts. I hope that I, will, <laughs> I know, and I I hope I will age with dignity and not be a cantankerous old bastard. But uh, we'll see. Well, cantankerous <laughs> is okay. Alistair's a Ken Pancras, young bastard. It's true. It's true. You don't have to be old for that. If 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 it's in you, it's in you. Because nothing hurts on me yet. And I'm a Ken Pancras bastard. (laughs) 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 Uh, Give it time. (laughs) I think you're complaining. So so how wow. how does it feel to have a 25th anniversary edition of this book out? Do you how does that feel? It's, it's kind of interesting because you know I, I'm going to probably say something a writer shouldn't say, but when the book was first published, I was a completely unknown author, and it was a complete mm-hmm. failure. Um, my editor, I had a wonderful editor, but he got sick, he had cancer, and so he had to leave his job, oh. and so it was an orphan book, and it just 
it did very badly. Now, people loved it. It was very well-reviewed, but it didn't sell very well. Um, um, yeah. Now, it's selling like crazy. And I feel, well, you know, a lot of people are buying it because they read The Lost City of the Monkey God, and they're thinking, oh, it's another book like that. And it is like that. Mm-hmm. If you loved The Lost City of the Monkey God, you're going to love this book. So I'm very gratified by the fact that it's selling so well. It might even become a bestseller, which would astonish me that a 25-year-old book could, that could happen, but it's right. really Why not? doing well. Yeah. So wow. I'm very glad, and also it's a very personal, it's a very personal mm-hmm. book for me. You know, it, it's about my life and my wife. I'm still married to her. Our daughter, Celine, was nine. She's now 36, and uh, it's just a wonderful, you know, it's a, I feel like I'm leaving something behind after I'm gone. People will be able to read about these things that happened, and, and in, in a way, I preserved a little bit of my life for posterity. Wonderful. Nice. That's cool. I love hearing that. That's cool. Now, um, yeah. you, uh, of course, are welcome back anytime. You are a pleasure. We love mm-hmm. having you, and um, we keep an eye on you, and whenever you get something new, we're going to have you back. But uh, <laughs> before we let you go, could you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, your work, and this book. Well, you, I have a website, uh, www.prestonchild.com. I share that with my writing partner, Lincoln, on some of these books. And if you want to buy Talking to the Ground, it's uh, available. Uh, I don't know how widely it's available in bookstores, but it's certainly available at Barnes & Noble uh, at a wonderful, wonderful discount. Also at Amazon at a great discount. So it's should be easy enough to find. And um, and there's some pictures in it. Uh, They're little black and white pictures, but uh, I hope up at our website I'm going to put some of those pictures in color so that they're more, um, so that you can really see them better. You've got a great website, too. Really like it. You do, you do, yeah. you, you do. Uh, actually, it's uh, yeah, we love your website. It's uh, we way back in the day we're looking at it. We, wow, this is a great website. We need to do one like this. <laughs> yeah, in fact, <laughs> well, thank was, you. you guys, Preston and Child, we had we told our art guy we need we we need a sign cross that's that's as good as that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's Preston the logo. <laughs> yes, thank you. Exactly. exactly. Go look at this page. Yeah, so thank you for that. And he did. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, um, good. Again, it's been it's been a pleasure. Uh, we love having you. Um, uh, we're, we're both in the middle of talking to the ground and are loving it. And we are. We're distinction. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for being on. Yes. And uh, we'll, well be in thank touch. you for well thank you very much. I love being on the show with you. You always ask good questions and uh so it's always a pleasure. Oh, only cool. as good thank as our guest. That's right. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, this is this is Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights live signing out and until next week we wish you haunted night and sweet screams. Thank you for listening.
Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Thank you. 